So imagine what heaven will be like with millions and millions of people as we greet one another in the Lord's name. Um, welcome to church. Um, if you are here for the first time, my name is Sanjaya Prawiro. Thank you for trusting us with your Sunday morning. And we will be continuing our sermon series this morning um, from the book of Acts, The Church to the World. Now, as... Um, I am preparing for this message. Um, I, uh, Tuesday, last Tuesday, we had a preaching team meeting uh, where we give feedback to the previous week uh, preacher, and then um, they're asking me what uh, I'm going to be sharing this morning. And that day, last Tuesday, my dad had a blood vessel in his eye ruptured. So he had bleeding, so I was in and out of the preaching team uh, Zoom, and we had to fly to Singapore on Wednesday, and he had an eye surgery on Friday. <clears throat> I stayed up with him all night on Saturday, on Friday. I didn't get much sleep. Uh, I came back to Jakarta last night at midnight, and by the grace of God, I'm standing here uh, along with caffeine. So uh, <clears throat> pray for, for me as I share this word this morning. And amazingly enough, the things that I'm going through has a lot to do with today's message. Um, it's about waiting. Right? How many of you feel like you waited a lot this week for anything? I mean, I waited for the plane ride. I waited for my dad's surgery. I waited for him, and etc., uh, etc. Et so waiting for something... It's not the easiest thing to do in life, especially when it comes to God's, the fulfillment of God's promise and the answer to our prayer. Most of us find it extremely difficult to not do something when we're waiting. In fact, when we get bored today, what do we do? Take out our mobile phone, um, go to our preferred social media, and start browsing. We never really try to quiet down our hearts and, and our mind. But waiting for the Lord is not the same as doing nothing. So with all the things that are going on in my head, uh, and... I had difficulty coming up with today's sermon title. So I seek the help of my trusted best friend, my wife. I said, I'm going to be sharing about this. Please come up with a title. Um, she came up with In God's Waiting Room. In some ways, what we will see from the passage and what we are experiencing today is that we are all in God's waiting room. We're waiting for God, for Jesus to come the second time, right? Now, in Acts chapter 1, we saw, Pat Yusuf taught us last week that Jesus said he rose to heaven. Right? And then prior to him leaving, he said, wait for the Father's gift. And then Jesus said, I will be back, right? So the disciples are waiting on two things, the gift from the Father and Jesus' second coming. They still had this idea that 
Jesus' second coming will be in a, in, in a form of uh, earthly kingdom where he would throw the Roman Empire and, and so on and so forth and establish the Jewish state, but it's not. Right? And that's where we're also today. <clears throat> so, as we go through the passage today, I want us to pay special attention to the lives of the disciples, their behaviors, their demeanors, their attitudes, their actions, while they were waiting to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, we are in God's waiting room. We should not be sitting idle. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for by your grace that I'm standing up here um, to share your word this morning. Give me strength and pray for the congregation as your word transcends that open their hearts and their mind, their ears to listen to your word, what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so here is the outline for today. Uh, I'm going to make you read out loud. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. And then we're going to dive deep into the passage. We're going to go verse by verse. And as we go verse by verse, I'm going to highlight the things that the disciples were doing while they were waiting in this period of time, waiting for the gift from the Father. And then we'll end today's sermon with the applications from the lesson that we have learned. Okay? I will be reading uh, the passage from the ESV translation. And in some of your translation, translation it, it's titled uh, Matthias, chosen to replace Judas. Or in some translation, it's also titled The Upper Room. So here is Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. Let's read them together out loud. Then they, referring to the disciple, returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David, concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akodama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So 
One of these men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Bersabbas, who was also called Justus, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Those are 14 verses. So if we dive deep into the passage together, personally, this is one of my favorite and one of the most important passages in the Bible. Because this is a 10-day period where the disciples and 120 of them were waiting for the gift of the Father. Now, if you were the disciples in those days, you have no idea how long you were supposed to be waiting. You're in limbo, right? God just said, return to Jerusalem and wait. That's it. Have you ever, if you have kids, have you ever told your kids, go to your room and wait? What do they do? And then, the reason why this is one of the most important passages, even though it doesn't seem so, but if you observe and analyze and look at the lives of the disciples, they were completely transformed. They're just not, quote-unquote, ordinary men. Somehow, inside of them, the way they think, the way they act, the way they say things is completely different. They were transformed. So, in verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem. Why did they return to Jerusalem? Because Jesus told them to in chapter, in the previous verse. Jesus had told them not to leave Jerusalem, but instead to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, there were 120 total of them. We saw that in the later verse. And in the book of Luke, in the gospel of Luke, Jesus appeared to 500 of them. But only 120 returned to Jerusalem. Right? So, we'll discuss why 120 Next we see is Mount called Olivet. Most of us are more familiar, it's called Mount of Olive. It is in the east side of Jerusalem. This is where Jesus ascended to heaven. The other interesting part on this verse is that the Mount of Olivet is about a Sabbath day journey. Now in the tradition of the Jewish culture, you cannot walk more than a certain number of distance before you are considered to be working. And that distance is around less than one kilometers away. So, if we highlight why the things that the disciples were doing, just from this first verse, is that they obey 
God's command. They were told to go back to Jerusalem and to wait. And they did. But only 120 of them did. Because if we look in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus appeared to 500 of them. Where did the 380 go? Oh. Now imagine if all of the 500 went somewhere, never returned to Jerusalem, what happened? Probably there is no church today because there is no foundation in which God would build his church. But because 120 of them obeyed, and that's why we are here today. We are in the same predicament as those 120. We're waiting for Jesus' second coming. So, we need to obey God's command. So, while we're waiting, can't just do anything that we like. We need to obey His command. Verse 13, And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. Nothing is mentioned about this room. The last time we saw this upper room was when they had the Last Supper. You know, we often refer that when they had the communion. Was it the same room? Uh, it was not explained. Was the room furnished with tables and chairs? We don't know. The only thing we know is that this upper room is big enough to hold 120 people. And in those days, when you, have when you have a room that is able to hold 120 people, you would assume that it belonged to somebody who is wealthy. I mean, that's a big room, right? The other interesting part about this verse is Luke specifically wrote Peter and John and James, and Andrew, and so on and so forth. But if we look at the gospel, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, it was not written in this order. Peter was written first in the book of Acts because Jesus said that upon this rock I will build my church. He is the more prominent of the disciples. In the gospels, what you, we usually see is Peter and his brother. And what is his brother's name? If John Steele was here, he would be on Menti up there, who is uh, the brother of Peter. And then we see John and his brother, the Zebedee. So now the order in which the disciples were written by Luke is in the order somewhat of importance. Peter first, and then John and then James and Andrew and the rest of the disciples were similar in the order. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Who were the women? Luke never mentioned the name of the women here. But remember that the book of Acts is a follow-up to the Gospel of Luke. 
And in the Gospel of Luke, Luke mentioned who these women are. These women were helpful in the ministry of Jesus. They also witnessed his crucifixion, witnessed the resurrection. If you go to Luke um, chapter 23, we see that these women were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. And of course, the Mary, the mother of Jesus. And his brothers. Again, it was not mentioned here. But we know who Jesus' brothers were. How many brothers, stepbrothers does Jesus have? He has four. So if you turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, Verse, chapter 6, verse 3, it was mentioned the name of Jesus' four stepbrothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. So if we kind of scan through this verse, okay, so there were some women there, Jesus' mom was there, the stepbrother was there. But if we dive deep and we want to highlight what are the things that the disciples were doing while waiting for the Lord, they were in one accord and they devote themselves to prayer. So number two, what we, I want to highlight is that as we're waiting for the Lord, we need to strive for unity amongst believers. Now last year, if you remember, we covered the letter to the Ephesians, whereby unity amongst the body of Christ is demanded from us. Likewise, we see a transformation in the life of the disciples. They were united. Remember, before this happened, the last time we saw them was in the upper room, having the Last Supper. They were arguing, who is the greatest among them? So, something must have happened then and now, that they're now united, not only that they were united, they were devoting themselves to prayer. When was the last time we saw the disciple pray? Well, what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? They fell asleep. So Luke was mentioning that there is a huge transformation in the lives of the disciple from a disunited, continue bickering among themselves to a group of followers that were united and praying. Praying is not a passive activity. In fact, praying is an active activity. This just doesn't happen unless you have a transformation in your lives. So, the love for Christ, the conviction, the surrendering of their lives to Christ as the Lord and Savior transformed their heart. They begin to understand what it means to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your minds, and with all your strength. And out of that love came obedience. And that's the reason why they returned to Jerusalem as well. 
No, a thousand things must have gone in their head. Uh, as I'm sure a thousand things are going through your head right now. But one thing they get it right. They were united and they were devoting themselves to prayer. Now remember, if you look back on when this happened, there was no New Testament. The New Testament was not written yet. So their lives were based on scriptures on the Old Testament, the Torah, the minor prophets, the major prophets, Psalms, Proverbs. So nobody taught them how to pray in a way like Bible study. Nobody taught them how to fast. They only remember what Jesus told them. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. That's a quote from Martin Luther. I want to expound a little bit on, on, on prayer. Why is it important for us to pray? Well, Jesus prayed. So if he prayed, I'm sure it's important enough for me to pray. No brainer. Second, it is important for us to pray because Jesus assumed that we would pray. If you look at Luke chapter 11, verse 2, Jesus said to them, when you pray, and he begins the Lord's prayer, Jesus didn't say, if you pray, but he emphasized the point that when you pray. So as Christian, we are expected to pray. And the third reason why it is important for us to pray is that prayer is how we get more from God. So in Matthew 7, verse 7 to 11, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? And in James chapter 4, verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. So when we pray, we can ask God, I had the privilege of uh, listening to different um, preachers about prayer. And a quote from Timothy Atik says, Part of God's sovereign plan is for his people to pray. And one of the ways that God is most glorified is when his people ask him to move. And when he moves, and then he we say thank you to him for moving. That's when he is most glorified. And for us, we struggle with prayer because we assume God is going to do what he is going to do anyway because he is sovereign. So why, why bother praying? And the fourth reason why praying is important is we get more of God. What, what, what do I mean by that? Uh, in Matthew 6, 6, and when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So we're getting more of him. Now we'll see later in the next chapter, there were 
the disciples, the followers, were rewarded by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, the greatest thing God could give you today is more of Himself. What Jesus accomplished on the cross is a way for us to cultivate a direct relationship with the living God. The reason the eternal Son of God left heaven, came to earth, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, but rose victoriously, the reason he did that was to give us the privilege of praying. Now we have access to a living God freely. He has made a way for us to boldly approach his throne of grace and to commune with him directly. So praying is not just us talking to God, but God talking to us. A lot of times, it is very difficult for us to allow God to talk to us. Uh, even though we are quiet, but it is really difficult to really be quiet in our mind. All of you are very quiet. And I don't know what's going on in your head. Right? So when you pray, not only that you are verbally asking God, but be still and, and try to listen. What is the scripture saying? What is God saying to you about certain things that are going on in your life? About his plan for you? In verses 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. Now, every time you see a parenthesis in this passage, it's Luke interjecting himself to make a comment. The company of person was in all 120. Again, on the surface, uh, it's, it's uh, like a regular verse. There's nothing really important. But look who stood up. It was Peter. In the Gospel of Luke, the last time we saw Peter was when he denied Jesus three times. What changed from someone who is so afraid to be associated with Jesus? He is now boldly stood up among the 120 and started saying. And if you remember what Pat Yusuf shared last week, Peter will have 10 speeches in the book of Acts. And this is his first one. And also, Jesus said to Peter that, Upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, this is a fisherman, remember? He's not theologically trained. He's just an ordinary person. The point is, God can use anyone to fulfill his plan. Now, there's a significant number why 120 is injected in there. According to the Jewish culture, a 120 is the minimum to have a council of a community. So, a commentary by John Stott, it's a Jewish tradition that if you wanted to have a council, then you need to have at least 120 
members. So that's why I think Luke specifically interjected that in the passage. So verses 16, 17, 20 is Peter giving his speech about, hey, brothers, the scriptures that talks about the betrayal of Judas was written in the book of Psalms. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And then, let another take his office. That means we need to find a replacement for Judas. So, a fisherman quoting scripture. It means that the Old Testament is valid. Some people today argue that the Old Testament, after the coming of the Messiah Jesus, that the Old Testament is irrelevant, but it is not. The Old Testament is relevant as part of God's scripture. This scripture is from Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. The first scripture explained what happened to Judas. And the second scripture noted that, again, there's an empty slot that we need to replace Judas. So I'm going to highlight number four, is that we, while waiting for the Lord, we need to study and meditate on his word. We don't just sit idle and do nothing. Now, unfortunately, Luke doesn't explain the minute-by-minute play, what happened during those 10 days. But he did explain to us that Peter was able to quote from the Scripture. Now, imagine if you're in a room with two other authors, Matthew and John. Hey. You remember what God said? You remember what Jesus said? So intellectual, intellectuals, they, they were experiencing it together. To finish up what Peter said, so one of these men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken us up from us, one of these men must become with us, with us a witness to his resurrection. Again, this is the criteria in which a person was to replace Judas. He must be among them when Jesus was alive, a witness to his resurrection, and they must be with them since the baptism of Jesus by John. So those were the two criteria that Peter said for someone to replace Judas. The interesting part is on the next verse. So the 120 of them decided that they're going to put forth two names. After they brought up two names, they prayed, 
And then they cast lots. And the lot happened to fall on Matthias. So Matthias replaced Judas. Now, in some ways, the definition of apostleship is that you have to be a witness of the resurrection. That means you are sharing the gospel. Number two, you have to have been a witness to the resurrection. And number three, you have to be appointed by the Lord Jesus. Now, there are two schools of thought. Those who believe that that is the criteria of an apostleship. But we also see later on in the book of Acts that that's now how the Apostle Paul was appointed. So there are two schools of thought. But in this case, Luke uses the word apostleship in verse 25 based on the criteria that Peter brought forth. So we will discuss the definition of the apostleship and the selection to be an apostles in the coming sermon from the book of Acts. But based on this, this particular segment of the passage, that the apostleship is based on you have to be an evangelizing on witnessing Christ's resurrection, and you have to actually witness Christ's resurrection. And number three, that God himself selected this individual by way of casting lots. Now, in the Old Testament, this is an accepted practice. But today, it is no longer accepted because the Holy Spirit has lived in us. How many of you have done this? Take out your Bible. Lord, give me the passage that happens, that answer my prayer today. Yep, that's it. It's the same thing as casting lots. And that doesn't work. And that's not the right way to do it. Many of your teenagers will do that. If they have issues with their life, they just open their Bible, you know, and okay, I'll stop in this passage because God told me to stop in this passage. Whatever passage that it comes, that's how God is speaking to me. And that's not the right thing to do. What we should do is have conversation with someone you trust, biblical counseling, your mentor, and your community. So we see this week from this passage that the selection of the disciples, the 12 of them, is complete. Right? It goes back to 12. Now, is it the reason that the baptism of the Holy Spirit come after the completion of the 12? It was not there to be mentioned specifically. I also would like to bring a special attention to the selection of Matthias. There are two schools of thought. One says that the choosing of Matthias is the right one as the 12th apostle. But another school of thought, the choosing of Matthias is not the right one. So those that have this against Matthias says that, well, 
He is a one-time, one one-name disciple. You will never hear Matthias again after this chapter. His life is a mysterious. It's a mystery. We don't know anything about him, what he, what he did. Right? They were saying that, well, Matthias was chosen by, quote-unquote, people who were not educate, educated, interpreting the scripture the wrong way. Because if you see, these people believe that the 12 apostle was supposed to be Paul. Because God selected Paul directly. He appeared to Paul. But nonetheless, Matthias is the 12th disciple. On the other side, those people who say that Matthias was the right one is because the disciple prayed while they were waiting. They devote themselves to prayer. They read the scripture, verified through the scripture that someone had to take the place of Judas. Then they prayed again, and they came up with two names. Then they prayed again before casting their lots, and it fell on Matthias. I am of the proponent that Matthias was chosen rightly. God ordained it. He was there. It was in the book. It's in the Bible. Now, what he did after that, we don't know. So the next highlight in terms of the things that the disciples were doing while waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit is that they are getting ready for the launch. Jesus has commanded them to be the witness in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in all of Samaria, and the ends of the earth. They were ready. They were ready. But Jesus said, wait until the gift from the Father. So I skipped two verses, verses 18 and 19. Now the reason I skipped that is because this is Luke's personal comment. He was writing it to Theophilus. This is his personal comment. Because Theophilus doesn't know what happened to Judas because as Peter was giving the speech, he, uh, Luke interjected these two verses in there. Now, this man acquired a field, this man referring to Judas, with the reward of his wickedness. Judas was paid um, 30 pieces of silver. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels got out. Welcome to Sunday morning. Well, only a doctor, which is Luke's profession, will write something like this. Hey, uh, if you fall headlong, right, be careful, your bowels will gush out. You'll never see any other disciples who are non-physician, who are not physician, writing anything similar to a medical term. And verse 19, now Peter was speaking in Hebrew. So they were saying that the field that Judas bought is called Akeldama. But Theophilus is not Jewish. He is a Gentile. And Luke is also a Gentile. So he needs to explain to Theophilus what does Akeldama means, which is the field of blood, which is known by the Israelites there. 
So this is the end of chapter 1. The stage is now set and ready for the Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we will see in chapter 2. So we heard last week the apostles were commissioned, but they were told to wait. So where do, where do these leave us? How can we apply what we have read today in our lives? Some of us were waiting for answers, for your prayer. But all of us are waiting for his second coming. So what should we do in God's waiting room? We need to examine our lives. Our, our thoughts, our words, our action are they in line? Are we being obedient? Strive for unity. We need to contribute to unity. Last year, we spent a few weeks describing about the unity in the body of Christ when we went through the book of Ephesians, how important it is for us to be united among believers, both Jews and Gentiles. So while we are in this waiting period, are you a peacemaker? Or are you contributing to unity? Or are you creating strife? Devote ourselves to prayer. Now I know um, prayer, uh, praying is one of my weakest area personally. So I need to commit myself to prayer this year. Uh, I mean, really, really commit ourselves to prayer this year. Some of us will write journals. Some of us don't even know how to pray. And uh, I'm going to share two things that I've heard from various preachers on how we can start uh, our prayer and how we can track our prayer journals. The first one, acronym, is ACTS. Yeah, we're discussing the book of Acts. Of course, it has to be Acts. The A stands for adoration. The C, confessions. T is thanksgiving and supplications. So if you have difficulty about what you want to say and how you start your prayer life, um, start by doing this acronym, Acts. And start filling out in each quadrant. What are you thankful for? Um, what are you confessing of giving thanks to God for things that are happening in your life and supplication, asking God. The other acronym which you can use is pray. The P stands for praise. The R stands for repent. The A stands for ask. And the Y stands for yield. And to me, this is the yielding part is the most difficult part. Because I tend to be more, uh, Lord, this is what I need. Thank you, you know, for all the things. But I don't spend enough time 
to be quiet and listening to God's voice. Uh, so when I close my eyes, other thoughts come and clash with the quietness. And it just destroyed um, anything that God wants to um, say to me. I'm not saying that God will speak to you audibly. And this is something that you have to um, discern. Study and meditate on God's word. Again, listen to God's voice. Each person will be different. But I'm encouraging you to take the time this year, not only to pray, but to quiet your heart and listen to God's voice. Some of you may be going through difficult challenges this year, and obviously it's more difficult. Some of you find that this life, maybe you are on the cloud nine and uh, nothing to listen for, but take time to listen to God's voice. And finally, get ready for lunch. Prepare yourself. Remember Jesus said that many will call him Lord, Lord, but he will say, I don't know you. But what are you doing in your life today that's making a difference as believers? So, if there is some part of your life that needs confession, that needs changing, right? Um, we are here. We have communities. Find yourself a, a accountable partner, someone to pray with, someone to counsel with. Because we have to be united. We are in God's big waiting room, and there are a lot of us. And we are here to motivate each other, to support one another, to pray with each other, to pray for one another. So these are the things that you can apply in your life and also my life. But we are waiting for Jesus' second coming. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for... Uh, the passage this morning, to be obedient to your word, um, our thoughts, our words, our actions, may it be honoring to you. We need to strive for unity. We know what those are, our preferences, our biases. Sometimes we're not comfortable with different things, but you told us to be united. told us to pray. We want to commit this year, Lord, to be a praying Christian. We want to commit to listen to your voice by studying your word and meditating upon it. And we want to be ready to be called to be your witness, not only in Jakarta, but to the ends of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.